0: to a Hope 1032 podcast. Last time we started to look at Paul's words in Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Here the apostle urges the Christians to live out the gospel through good deeds and so outlive the critics of the gospel. In other words, the godly life of the Christian can actually defend the gospel from criticism. But what Paul puts defensively in verses 5 to 8, he states positively in verses 9 to 10. And if you have Titus chapter 2 verses 9 to 10 handy, um, fantastic. If not, I'll read it to you. He says that Christians are to live humble, honest and trustworthy lives so as to promote the gospel to those around them. Here are his words. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Good works not only defend the word of God, Paul says, they promote it. Paul has a particular word of God in mind here. He describes it as the teaching about God our Saviour. Paul is concerned that the particular news of God as Saviour The gospel, in other words, is promoted through the lives of Christians. According to Paul, humility, honesty, and trustworthiness can make the gospel attractive to those who don't yet believe. The word translated attractive there in verse 10 is the Greek word cosmeo, from which, of course, we get the English word cosmetics. The word actually means exactly what you'd think. It means to beautify. It's a lovely idea. The gospel is beautiful on its own, of course. I mean, the news that Christ died for our sins and rose as Lord is just stunning. But it can be beautified, says Paul. The good lives of believers can enhance the gospel's appearance in the minds of those who hear it. The connection between good works and evangelism is clear then. There were several preachers on the island of Crete, um, dedicated to the task of preaching the gospel. Titus was one of them, but so was Zenus, Apollos, Artemis, and Tychicus. Um, the thought behind Titus 2.10 is that as these preachers declare the doctrine about the Saviour, the Christian community provides an apologetic in the godly life, silencing criticisms and wooing the population of the island to the beauty of the gospel. As the preachers speak of God's generosity, believers are to embody that generosity in their care for the poor. As the preachers declare God's forgiveness, believers are to display that mercy in their dealings with those who oppose them. As the preachers announce Christ as the truth of truths, believers are to be marked by honesty and trustworthiness in their daily affairs. As they do this, the message will be beautified and people will be drawn to the Saviour revealed in the Gospel. Understood this way, good deeds are anything but mute. So long as the Gospel is being spread widely throughout our communities, the godly life of ordinary Christians will promote that Gospel, whether or not they are the ones doing the preaching of the Gospel. Emphasizing the power of good deeds, then, in no way undermines the centrality of the gospel in our mission. Both are about promoting the news of Christ to those who don't yet believe. My wife and I have some very dear friends who provide an excellent example of the way good deeds and gospel preaching combine to draw people to Christ, whether or not the deeds and the proclamation are done by the same people. Ten or so years ago, Kim and Christian were faced with every parent's nightmare. Their daughter Sophie, two years old at the time, was diagnosed with leukaemia. And so began the regular visits to the hospital, the endless tests and the anxious months and years of waiting. The birth of their second child at just this time brought extra challenges, as you can imagine. Kim and Christian were not believers and never attended church, but Kim did go to the church playgroup where local mums brought their toddlers to the church hall for an hour or so for social time, playing and a little bit of singing. The Christian component of this group was very low key. Kim recalls that the group was very social and, from my perspective at the time, not at all linked to the church building just next door. Nevertheless, everyone knew the group was run by Christian mums, and these women worked very hard at creating a warm and caring atmosphere for those who might otherwise feel awkward about coming to a church group. But this Christian atmosphere became palpable when little Sophie fell ill. Suddenly, a food roster was set up as people from the playgroup and the church dropped off regular meals to Kim and Christian. Others phoned to see how they were doing and to offer assistance. Kim remembers a woman she didn't even know arriving at the door one day with a bunch of flowers. To quote Kim, she wanted to let us know that her Bible study group was praying for us and to see if we needed any help. Kim met others on different occasions who, to quote her, on finding out who I was, told me of their prayers for us and Sophie, which to me showed a level of concern and involvement which went above and beyond a normal person's level of interest in our problems. One of Kim's great supporters during this difficult time was Lisa, the playgroup coordinator. On occasion, Lisa had offered to pray for little Sophie by her bedside. At the time, I was quite taken aback, says Kim, but each time I was filled with peace and hope. The gospel effect of all of this on Kim and Christian was very real. To quote them, the prayers and support we felt from that group really made us want to find out what it was about them that made them do that go out of their way to help us in our time of need. And Christian adds, it has been so powerful to witness exceptional behaviour and to find out where it comes from. Well, the opportunity to find out more came one evening when Lisa invited Kim to an evangelistic talk by Frank Retief, a visiting minister from South Africa. I'm sure I would never have gone, remembers Kim, had she, Lisa, not taken me. Lisa's love and concern over the months had given Kim not only an interest in the Christian message, but also a hunch that it might be relevant. Kim listened to Frank Retief's words that night with a heart wide open. Towards the end of the evening, it may have even been during the prayer at the end, I started to shake and cry fairly uncontrollably, Kim says. In that moment... The Lord made himself real to Kim and she embraced him with all her heart. Christian too, who joked that I should call him non-Christian up to this point, embraced Christ soon afterwards. He had been somewhat sceptical about Christianity. His French humanist tradition left him with numerous questions about God and about the validity of religious belief in general. Observing exceptional behaviour though, together with learning the gospel in a sensitive and intelligent way, confronted Christian's doubts with the reality of Christ. Kim and Christian, now both very much Christians, give thanks to the Lord for all he has taught them and for the fact that Sophie has been in remission now for eight years, which is usually the all-clear sign. For me, what God has done in their lives is living proof of the way good deeds and gospel proclamation often combine to draw people to Christ, whether or not those doing the deeds are also the ones doing the proclamation. Kim and Christian are a reminder to me of the responsibility we all have to make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Hope 1032. Thanks for listening.